0: Welcome to Few and Far Between, conversations about rare disease research. I'm your host, Wayne Bowden. On today's podcast, my guest is Danielle Drayton. Danielle is the CEO and founder of REACH Market Research. So REACH is actually a life sciences consulting company. They provide patient-level, therapy-level, and market-level research, and they do this specifically for rare diseases. Danielle founded REACH uh, first and foremost because she was actually affected by a rare disease within her own family but also because she saw that there was a big hole in the information sphere when it comes to rare diseases, and she really wanted to fill that hole and make sure that rare disease market insights are delivered in a fast and easy-consumed format for her clients. So Danielle has a little over 14 years of experience as a senior researcher and executive in the life sciences industry. Before starting REACH Market Research, Danielle was EVP at Decision Resources Group, or DRG, which is another life sciences consulting company not specifically targeting rare diseases. Danielle holds a Bachelor's of Science in Microbiology and Immunology from the University of Miami and a PhD in Immunology from Yale University. In this episode, we talked about the genesis of REACH and what it is doing now to educate the market and what it plans to do in the future. We talk about the heterogeneity of rare diseases and why that makes REACH's mission so challenging and yet so important. And we also talk about how more information about rare diseases can help us to actually run faster, more efficient clinical trials. So it was a very intriguing conversation. I hope that you all enjoy it. And without further delay, here is Danielle Drayton. Okay, I'm here with Danielle Drayton. Danielle, welcome to the Few and Far Between podcast.
1: Oh, great. Thanks for having me.
0: It's good to have you here. Maybe you can tell our listeners uh, a little bit about yourself and kind of how you made your way into the rare disease space.
1: Sure, happy to do so. So I am a nerd at heart, probably as a genetic condition. Uh, so trained as a scientist uh, at Yale University uh, in immunology and um, have always been very interested in science, questions around biology, and I took that experience, did a postdoctoral fellowship at the Harvard Medical School, which was, you know, it's a phenomenal experience, and then I made a career change moving from academic scientist to business analyst, disease market analyst about 15 years ago. So I went to a great company called Decision Resources Group as an entry-level analyst, And that sort of core job was to analyze disease markets in in a tremendous amount of detail for pharmaceutical companies that had already made commitments to develop a drug in a space and just helping them uh, sort of better understand the nuances and dynamics of different disease markets. So I did that in the area of infectious diseases, mostly a little bit of immunology, And then over the course of 15 years at DRG, had three really interesting phases to my career there. So research intensive analyst phase, and then transition to more business operations, post merger integration of different research companies that DRG had acquired. And so really it was a great opportunity to learn different research spaces from medical devices to digital multi-channel marketing to many different specialty therapeutic areas and then the third phase of my career at DRG was really focused on business leadership so thinking about some of the macro issues in the life sciences space and then being able to create solutions, services, products, acquire data and pull that all together in a way that could help life sciences companies both biotech and pharma companies to navigate their way to commercial success in disease markets. And I ended up in the land of rare diseases, mostly sort of tapping into that scientific curiosity that mm-hmm. led me to go to graduate school and looking at over that 15 years at DRG, looking at the industry shift from an emphasis on what I call mass market diseases. So think type 2 diabetes rheumatoid arthritis, asthma, these really highly prevalent diseases, seeing the industry shift either away from that for some companies or expanding into new areas where there are tremendous unmet needs, right? Mm -hmm. And so thinking about where can the industry take its capabilities Mm -hmm. and put it to good use? Mm -hmm. And the best use of those capabilities are in areas where patients are underserved by treatment options today. And so areas like oncology and rare diseases fit the bill. And so seeing the industry move in that direction, seeing the science also become more advanced in rare diseases, Mm -hmm. it just all was not only sort of an an academic exercise of Mm -hmm. watching the changes in the market, but also just personally interested in the sciences. So decided, to, once I left DRG, decided to become an entrepreneur in the middle of a pandemic (laughs) and uh, really focus on rare diseases, where I thought it could be this really great combination of my business experience at DRG, my academic experience, as well as kind of my market research.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting how everything kind of came together I wouldn't say at the opportune time if it was in the middle of the pandemic, maybe, but it seems to have worked out. And it's really interesting how kind of tapped into, like you said, the nerd genes. And I don't think it's a rare disease, but it's definitely not, not super common So, uh, you know, in, in entrepreneurs. So uh, I think that's really interesting. So one of my questions is then you had your background sort of as a market research analyst in general at DRG. And then kind of making this transition into focusing in on not only where the industry is going, right, but something I think that maybe is kind of core to that scientific exploration, right, of of diseases that we don't know a lot about. And I think that seems to you, it sort of taps into something, you know, of that scientific discovery. Was there a specific disease that, you know, you had started with, kick things off? you know, either yourself or your family, or were there any diseases that you just, you know, were of interest to you?
1: Yeah, so it's interesting that you asked that. So the kind of genesis for REACH and the disease that we ended up focusing on was sickle cell disease. And it's sort of this, when sort of personal experience meets passion around science meets kind of curiosity around where the market in rare diseases mm-hmm. were headed. And that combination led me to start off in the sickle cell disease space. So mm-hmm. I have family members who have unfortunately passed due to sickle cell disease, friends whose children are young adults are living with sickle cell disease, or friends themselves who have it. So It definitely has a personal, very personal element to Mm -hmm. thinking about and working on sickle cell disease.
0: How rare is sickle cell?
1: Good question. So rare diseases are defined in the United States, at least, as affecting two hundred thousand or fewer people, Mm -hmm. and sickle cell disease affects about eighty-five to one hundred thousand individuals, and it disproportionately affects African Americans. Yeah, we started off focusing on sickle cell. It's, It's it was a very interesting time because, like many rare diseases, there there just wasn't a lot of research and investment in the space. There are not as many people, and so the prevalence numbers might make it not as attractive when you compare it to a disease that affects tens of millions of people, mm-hmm. uh, like a type 2 diabetes. But what was really interesting, what is really interesting about the space is the science. The science, there are advances in science. And so you look at the pipeline and you see new therapies that were before, just when we started, new therapies that had launched. So before these new therapies came to market, there was an, sort of an old drug used for chemotherapy uh, called hydroxyurea. That drug was used to manage sickle cell disease patients along with other things like red blood cell transfusions regularly uh, patients have to undergo and ultimately in a small small portion of patients about five percent of them uh, would have to could undergo a bone marrow transplant Mm -hmm. and so the market was really interesting new therapies new scientific innovation a lot of interest in the space Mm -hmm. and so being able to do some early work around assessing how those new therapies could really change not only treatment for sickle cell disease patients, but potentially for people's lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and just being able to work in an area that I'm personally passionate about and uh, that had lots of scientific and commercial innovation. Mm-hmm. It was, yeah, it was great. It is great. We still do work in sickle cell disease.
0: That's great. So maybe can you talk a little, a little bit more about, what is the kind of customer archetype that comes to you and says, you know, hey, Danielle, I need, I need to learn more about XYZ disease. What, is, what are they really looking for? And then what are the specific activities that you and your team there are delivering? You know, what sort of value are you delivering back through your, through your research?
1: I guess to start, what we ultimately, the goal that we're trying to achieve is to tell the stories of rare disease markets to life sciences professionals who don't understand the market. The market's very unfamiliar to them. And these professionals could be uh, new product planning, business development, individuals uh, at a pharmaceutical company, can be consultants who are serving pharmaceutical companies, venture capitalists who are thinking about investing in a company uh, developing a rare disease drug, and even academic institutions who are their technology transfer offices who are thinking about uh, out licensing or building uh, a startup around an asset or a platform and the institution. So it really ranges, but at the core of what we try to do is we try to tell these stories of the diseases in a way that leverages kind of traditional market research or primary and secondary market research with physicians Mm -hmm. and potentially uh, patients depending on the disease but to do it in a way that makes it very easy for the user who's consuming the information to really get what matters in the market so mm-hmm. what's the current state of a market today and then what what does it look like in the future and what are some of the forces in the market that could impact and impact market dynamics so ultimately it's the provision of what we call just-in-time data and analyses on rare disease conditions. And as one of our clients, put it thought it was so great. It's a, uh, being a flashlight in a cave of darkness. So the customers that we work with, the life sciences professionals that we work with, these are folks who are interested in a market, but they just don't know where to start, they don't understand the disease, they don't understand Mm -hmm. the market dynamics, and they want to be informed, and so our job is to create these insight stories that are very short and pithy, concentrated insights Mm -hmm. on what you need to know just as you are going on an adventure of exploring a rare disease market. Yeah,
0: I like that when I was reading about, you know, how you guys put together these stories right because you use the word stories and I think that's an important word right because you know when people picture a market analysis uh, you know the, the picture is you know like a big binder with 3500 pages and you know you have charts and data and God knows how, how how are you gonna like make sense of that but what it sounds like what you guys are doing is really more along the lines of just figuring out what's the questions that they're trying to answer and then putting it in a In a format that's really easy for people to understand. And I assume it actually reads like a story, right? Where, like, you have the patient epidemiology and then you're zooming into, you know, those patients in those reasons. How are they being treated? How are they, you know, who are they seeing? How, what is their life like? And then potentially, then uh, maybe there's more information you can talk about there, but, you know, kind of understanding that patient, understanding their treatment paradigm you know in the locations that they are and then from there then making the the jump to well then where might there be some market opportunities you know within within those within that patient population is that roughly right
1: yeah that's that's right you, you totally got it and i think the key at least how we think about it is how do we put together a more modern and fresh way of mm-hmm. thinking about Rare disease markets and presenting that information. Mm-hmm. So it's not sufficient. So it's necessary to have as much data and information as possible, but it is absolutely not sufficient to create the equivalent of a doorstop or a paperweight right. and a 200, 3, 4, 500 page report, which mm-hmm. is just a consolidation of a lot of information in one place. Mm-hmm. And it's also not sufficient to have. A database or a bunch of databases with lots of information in it that you can self-serve. I am a firm believer that information is something wholly different than mm-hmm. insight. And so the value of trying to tell the story of these rare disease patients and the market is really getting to the heart of what the issues are mm-hmm. and sharing the information in a highly visual narrative way so not only the and the person who's consuming the information kind of gets it they have this moment where they say okay i i understand what this market is about and i understand these are the questions i need to be asking mm-hmm. but the power of stories is that they get propagated right you learn you take the story on but then you tell it to others and mm-hmm. so i think we fall short if we create market research reports and analyses Adjust it with the one person or the one team Mm -hmm. who's consuming the information, but give it to them in a way that it can Mm be spread throughout the organization, and it's very easy for them to tell the story of what the market's about.
0: Yeah, it's it's transferable, and it allows it allows them to share that information among their colleagues without (laughs) forcing them to also read a 3,500-page report. So I'm curious, you know, do you do you think like this this type of solution you know, is especially important for rare disease. I mean, I mean, I imagine it could be important, you know, with really any type of market research, mm-hmm. it sounds like that's a great model, but maybe you can talk about, um, you know, your opinion on on how it might be even more important for, you know, a rare disease to be able to understand it in this way, because, there's not a lot of information about rare diseases to begin with, right? So it's exactly. it's tough to even go online and find a paper. Sometimes maybe there may be one, right? Paper that's ever been done in a rare disease, maybe there's none. So there's definitely a kind of a gap between, you know, the ability for someone who wants this information and the information itself. Um, and so, you know, maybe you can talk a little about how this type of research is so important for rare diseases.
1: Yeah. So you hit on a really good point about by their nature, the rare diseases have uh, sort of sparse information. They just haven't had the same level of attention as much larger, more prevalent diseases. And so I think it's important to be able to do a few things when helping anyone learn any disease, but particularly rare diseases. So often the place that we find potential clients, and is there sort of overwhelmed by the idea of having to scour lots and lots of different data sources to try to piece together what a rare disease is about? And it's really daunting, because most people start from the position of, I know nothing of this disease. You know, my Google search pulled up lots of little bits of pieces of information, but I don't know how it really ties together. And so I think the value of doing the work to tell stories of rare diseases is and taking the time to not only grab information in the public domain, but it's sort of stitching that information together along with insights from physicians and or patients so that you can not just present data points, but put them in context. Uh, have some degree of sequencing of sort of where do patients start with their diagnosis through their treatment journey. Uh, and I just think it's important for any diseases, but it's particularly important in rare diseases just because the data, as far as it's disparate, if you have a fortune of having multiple data points, multiple pieces of data for a single data point or variable, then they often don't match up. And so yeah. then how do you, how do you pick you know, the, the epidemiology number, is it two out of 100,000 patients uh, prevalence? Is it 20 out of 100,000? And so I think the time that we spend working in rare disease markets, sort of honing the skills of how do you tell the story of these diseases is really valuable because we're never starting from scratch. But it's also it also takes a little bit of time to try to weave together what it all means.
0: But yet, from what I understand, you guys can put these things together really fast, right? What's the turnaround time if someone gives you some random rare disease and you give them back a report? I think you guys work very fast, right?
1: We do work very quickly. We can create one of these rare disease insight stories mm-hmm. in uh, 14 days, and the approach there is something we call layering. It's not mm-hmm. rocket science, actually, but it's pretty simple. And so what, when we talk about layering, the first layer is secondary market research. And we do, we do something we call dual secondary. So we have at least two people uh, doing the secondary market research and they come back with their findings and then they compare notes. And what's great about that approach is you'll have some overlap. So you have kind of this instant validation, right? It's built in yeah. validation. But then you'll have some areas that don't overlap. So if you think of a Venn diagram, a lot of overlap. And then on the edges, there's, there's information that each person individually has uncovered that doesn't overlap. Well, it's in those non-overlapping areas that you've basically broaden your reach in terms of the information that you've gathered. So you start painting the picture right away. And that's one of the most important things is from the minute we are doing research, we are sketching out the story. We're sketching, we're getting the kind of the shape of it. Think of a pencil mm-hmm. sketch, right? You're sort of sketching it out. Uh, and it's a pencil because you're erasing as you go, right? The more you learn, there's more mm-hmm. detail and nuance. And so it's that first layer of dual secondary research can get you pretty good, a good sketch. And then there's the next layer of validating that with some primary market research with physicians who specialize in treating the rare disease. And so in that, you're validating what you've got in secondary. You've got a lot of questions (laughs) that have come up, so you're trying to get some answers to those questions. And in those primary market research interviews, you're learning new things. And so you've got this really interesting layer now of secondary data. Physician insights, new physician insights that you might then put on another layer of secondary to try to see what the literature has that. to offer. Mm-hmm. Often, when you talk to physicians too, they'll point you to a paper, or a set of research to look at. And then after you've that secondary, that second layer of secondary, then you're usually in a position where you can do some primary, quantitative primary market research. So these mm-hmm. are surveys of physicians, and so. We have partners that we work with where we can turn the surveys around uh, in as little as 24 hours. Wow. So you have that quantitative information, mm-hmm. and so now you're you sketched out. What the market's about, the topics mm-hmm. that you talked about, so epidemiology, current and emerging treatment, value and access considerations, which are things you should be thinking about early. And then we've got all along the way of these layers, we're sketching, we're erasing, we're adding detail, we're filling in this story. And then at the end of that, you stitch it all together with a narrative, highly visual format. And there you are in as little as 10 pages, you, the reader, will Mm -hmm. have a really great sense of what the market is about. And most importantly, you'll understand enough so that you know what questions you might need to be asking for your next round of research. Mm. And so that flashlight in a cave of darkness, you know, we're the light and you know more, you know more reading one of our stories than you did Mm -hmm. just a few weeks before.
0: You're illuminated. You um, are illuminated yeah. <laughs> no, I, I like I, I love the process, but I still think it's amazing that you can do it so quickly, which is obviously great for your clients because they're aching to to learn more so that they can make decisions around what they want to do in each disease. I'm curious, what is the toughest rare disease you've worked on? The mm. listeners will know that there's between six thousand and seven thousand somewhere around that number of rare diseases. And I think your model is that someone could come to you with any one of those 7,000, right? They could say, That's right. you know, I want, yeah, go look at number 5,491. And you're That's like, right. okay, I've, I've never heard of that, but let's go, <laughs> let's go learn, you know? Um, yep. Or maybe you know them all because you have them all no. listed on your board. <laughs> but yeah, w- w- can you name one that was especially challenging or like just odd or or even one that, uh, that maybe you just learned something that was completely unexpected?
1: Yeah, it's not an odd one. Oh gosh there's so many so something I think most people are familiar with is achondroplasia which is dwarfism that right. is a really interesting um, very familiar with that my, my mother thought I
0: was a dwarf until I was you know 12 years old and I, I got <laughs> oh, really? growth shut yeah. up yeah.
1: <laughs> sometimes I look at my son <laughs> and I'm like hmm I'm
0: wondering
1: <laughs> here gotta no, check he's... that yeah exactly it's a slower on the growth Curve. So that was an interesting one just because the number of people, you know, affected is so small. No pun intended. That was not intentional. <laughs> uh, um sorry for the
0: fellow dwarfs listening. It's uh it's <laughs> the figure of speech.
1: It's an interesting one because it's um so many of that that list of seven thousand genetic disorders there is no treatment. Many of them are chronic progressive terminal diseases. And dwarfism is interesting because there are growth home hormone therapies that are used. There's some surgical interventions, but it doesn't follow this kind of normal trajectory of a rare disease where mm. a chronic progressive terminal is an interesting market to see kind of drug development in that space always like careful with this because the minute you identify the rare disease you could potentially identify the customer who's working on it because the diseases often don't have 20 companies Mm -hmm. they tend to have two or three organizations but there's some interesting primary immunodeficiency Mm -hmm. diseases uh nephrology i mean it really it really runs the runs the gamut but One of the, I guess, themes in rare diseases, the work that we're working on is a lot of emphasis on these chronic progressive disorders that move into adulthood. So about half of rare diseases, they're pediatric conditions and they can be terminal in nature. But then you have a subset of rare diseases where it goes into adulthood. So the patient lives until age 40, 50, some instances. 60 with the disease and so when I look at the work that we've been doing we've been getting a lot of kind of interest in that chronic progressive into adulthood genetic disorders
0: mm-hmm. this is a, a selfish curiosity because <laughs> as you know our company runs clinical trials and we do we do that in in rare diseases well not only in rare diseases but a lot of the things we do are in rare diseases I mean is there any insights that you know, a company like ours might be able to use, you know, from the from the market. You know, how how could we potentially use some of those insights that you're uncovering through your type of research to broaden our understanding, both in the U.S. but also around the world? Because a lot of times we, you know, we operate around the. I'm curious: is uh, do you do a lot of research outside of the U.S. or is it primarily inside of the U.S.?
1: Oh, we do. We generally cover U.S. and the five major European markets. Sometimes Japan works, but the core is US plus EU5. We can do work in other areas, but yeah, our sort of sweet spot and where people tend to start is in those markets. In terms of CROs and the type of work that we do, so I think one of the important areas is basically the epidemiology, right? So, how many, what's the prevalence of the disease? So, how many people uh, have the disease? That's, That's always an important. Starting point. I think the other piece that that is helpful is understanding the products, companies, and drug development. So who else is developing a therapy for a particular rare disease? Mm -hmm. That's more from a I guess for you guys like a business development Mm -hmm. uh, standpoint
0: or it also Thank could be from a competitive understanding right cuz i assume if you're looking into the treatment options you're probably also getting visibility into what studies you know are out there or maybe the KOLs and docs that you're talking to are talking about you know new products that are also coming you know into the clinic from the research perspective so investigational products that might be coming into the clinic So you're getting some visibility into that.
1: I think the other thing when I think about companies doing clinical trials in rare diseases, the challenge isn't only finding patients, right? That's a that's a big one. Finding them, enrolling them, but it becomes increasingly challenging when you have a high density of drugs and development and sort of in clinical development because patients become less and less available because they're participating in five other trials going Uh on. And so then you're trying to recruit patients for trial number six and you're recruiting in a patient population where there are 25,000 people in the United States. It just becomes more and more challenging if there's simultaneous clinical studies going on. Uh And so Uh understanding what the sort of clinical landscape looks like in terms of uh, trials, who's developing trials, what what the enrollment looks like, I think it's really important for thinking about
0: feasibility and i would separate too between identification and enrollment because it's one thing to (laughs) find them but then you have getting them into the trials a whole nother story but maybe we'll save that for another conversation (laughs) but one of the things i wanted to kind of dig in on is the diagnostic piece of it so and i'm sure maybe this is some somewhere that you can offer some insights or maybe some experiences that are interesting but you know what we've found is that You know, so often it's just that these rare diseases, like you mentioned, if especially if they follow sort of a typical path where it's more like you know, it's more progressive, that a lot of patients, you know, may not know that they have the disease, or doctors Mm -hmm. may be seeing patients that have it and they think it's something else, and then only later it's found that it's actually, you know, this disease. So, and sometimes I think I read this the average time to diagnosis for, you know, any given rare disease could range from like six months to like 16 years right exactly. so it's crazy so any uh special experiences you can share like where maybe you looked into this, this disease and you found that wow you know we thought that we were going here but when we initially sketched like you you were talking about your layered your layered mm-hmm. approach right where you sort of first sketch from the from the secondary research kind of sketch out the outlines and then you put in all the color with more primary research. I'm sure this has happened. Maybe you can talk about it, at a time where you sketched something out from the secondary research. And then when you went to go confirm with primary, you, you realized, wow, like this is way bigger or maybe way smaller than what you thought it was.
1: Yeah. We've done some, so there's an interesting, it's a renal disorder. We've done some work in it and it's called Alport syndrome and okay. it's a disease. It's a genetic disease it disproportionately, term- phenotypically affects men. So the men present early with pretty severe disease. And so by the age of like 30 to 40, the majority of men have kidney failure and they need uh, kidney transplant. Mm-hmm. Then women are carriers of the gene and they have the disease, but it's a much more, the phenotype of it is much less severe And the onset of more some of the kidney failure issues Mm -hmm. comes much later in life. And what's interesting is if you look at the literature, there's this enormous amount of focus on the male population um, with a specific genotype, and women are sort of thought of as just carriers. They they have the gene, they carry it, they pass it on to their sons, but they are affected too. And you know, talking to physicians clinicians, you definitely see it's underdiagnosed in women because they don't present with a very severe form and it's thought of as a disease of men. And so when you start looking at the prevalence data and the literature, trying to see what you can glean from real world insurance claims data in the U.S. and you look at what you hear from physicians, it is very clear that the disease is underdiagnosed because there's a lack of awareness around it, but then also underdiagnosed because those who are aware of it think it's a disease of men. And so by our own kind of analysis, it's pretty mm. clear that the the numbers that are reported in the literature are mm. underestimating uh, that really patient population.
0: Yeah, it's yeah. really interesting. We do a lot of things in nephrology too. Um, we haven't done Alport, we've done, you know, all of the CKDs and I'm sure that, Mm -hmm. you know, it manifests as CKD, but then they realize later, right. That it's actually uh, a different genetic condition. That's really interesting. Whereas sort of focus on the male population, but it turns out that, that there should be equal focus on the, on the female population as well. Absolutely. You know, what, what advice would you have for those, you know, life sciences companies who are initially kind of looking at a rare disease market but don't know anything about it i mean what's maybe some advice you could direct them to uh to think about obviously you know contact you (laughs) and do some some market research from reach but you know (laughs) what are some of the things that maybe you've you've learned through all this research of so many different rare diseases you know of how maybe the market should be thinking about the industry i should say how the industry should be thinking about rare disease if they really want to actually pursue an asset in there
1: so my advice is try to understand the natural history of the disease. Look in the literature, find a vendor, understand the natural course of the disease. If you don't understand that, then you're you're gonna be in the dark no matter what story you get from me (laughs) or some other consultant. So I think that's important. I think the other thing is talk to patients. Physicians, everyone talks to physicians as you should. Mm-hmm. Talk to patients, so rare disease patients are very, very, very much involved in their care. They're not passive consumers of information or passive uh, consumers of you know doctors' orders. They're engaged in a way that I've not seen in some mm-hmm. of the you know big diseases. And I think part of that is because I mean they're so hungry for, information and they want to have a sense of control about what's happening to them. And so start with patients. There are many companies, oh, so many companies that put together rare disease patient communities. One of my favorites is Experium, formerly RareMark. They are companies that have patient panels. Lots of patients are very, there's a group of sort of high visibility patient influencers, you know, in social media and the public domain, we found just reaching out, picking up the phone, sending an email and just reaching out to them, Mm -hmm. you get a very positive response. And so I think that people want, they want to talk, they want to share their experience with the diseases. And in those conversations, there's a lot of nuance that you get around what it's like to live with the disease. And it starts to form this picture of how whatever drug development plan someone has can actually impact people's lives. So, yeah, my advice is start with natural history. I mean, that's where we start on a disease. Talk to patients, talk to physicians, but it's patients and uh, natural history.
0: Yeah, and then the natural history piece is, well, the patient piece is obviously extremely important. The natural history piece is both important and I would say a little bit difficult, right? because of the heterogeneity of the of the population mm-hmm. itself. And so I think that's really why it is so important is because you may think that you're going after you know one piece, but you know how are you going to find patients in in that specific stage of their life cycle? Uh, and sometimes you can't or or sometimes you just you can't get enough of them to to look at in one point of time and you have to you know target a broader segment. but when you do that like you said you have to understand that what you're targeting is a broader segment of a disease that's changing over time and so i think that's what, like what you're saying the talking to the patient's piece if you kind of use that framework when you're talking to patients to understand what stage of the disease are they in you can really start to add that color you know to the different you know to different uh, parts of the of the history so i think those are all really good really good recommendations so i think we should work together on the next trial you can, us, uh, yeah. <laughs> you can help us, yeah. You can help us on the up. epidemiology piece because it is, it's it's so important, and on the treatment piece as well because uh, we need to know all of those things in order to accurately, you know, plan for how to find these patients exactly. uh, in the remote, most re- remote and non-remote parts of the world.
1: Well, I am here. We are here. Reach out to us, pun intended.
0: So, for the listeners, uh, how can they reach you? How can they get in touch with? You and how can they learn more about reach market research?
1: So, our website is reachmr.com, and folks can reach out to me directly. I think LinkedIn is probably the easiest way, but also I can send a general note that the whole team will receive at info at reachmr.com.
0: Okay, great. Well, thank you for joining us, Danielle. It's really a pleasure to have you.
1: Oh, it's great to be here, Wayne. Thanks for having me.
0: If you enjoyed this podcast or have suggestions for future episodes and how we can make it better, please get in touch with us. You can email us at fewandfarbetween at or contact us at our website at bioresse.com.